Sometimes it'll be talking about queerness the entire time. I promise not to yell every other sentence, but like <laughs> maybe every Don't five. Don't make promises you can't keep. <laughs> Bisexually lit. I'm Summer. I'm Danny. And we're really excited to be here right now. Yeah, today we're talking about Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Uh, and it has been a road to get here. This is our first episode. We did this before. We recorded 50 minutes mm-hmm. of this episode and we were still stuck in the recap. Yeah. Last week we were feeling really ambitious. We were like, we're going to do a recap and then we're going to discuss. And at the 50-minute mark, we were only about 20% in. Yeah, so clearly our time management skills are stellar uh, when it comes to talking about movies that we love. Time is an illusion. It's true. It's an illusion, Michael. Yeah. It is not necessarily movies we love, but movies we have so much to say about. Sure. So, so, so fucking much. We decided to archive those 15 minutes for posterity, Patreon, uh anyone who might be interested in hearing us ramble about the first 20 minutes of this movie, which largely incorporates just like a bunch of elephant shit and an orgy. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, and belly button pee. We'll, yeah, we'll get to it. We will get to it. I can't get it out of my mind. I so there's no way around it. I actually don't know if we'll get to it. It's not in our outline now. Well, I, well we got to it now, so it's fine. Uh, like Danny said, this is literally an epic. I mean... If you haven't seen it, just just so you know, it's over three hours, the runtime. The credits don't hit until, like, the three-hour mark. Like, it's fully three hours. Yeah. I think he, technically it's three hours and nine minutes. Yeah, that sounds um, right. With credits. And, um, yeah. But, yeah, it's it's intense. Like, you that, that title card hits, and you're kind of like, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> yeah. Where am I? Here we go. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean... We, both Danny and I, I think, really like Damien Chazelle. Mm -hmm. Um, We really like his previous work. um, And this, I think that he really went for it. I mean, you gotta, you gotta hand that to him. Like, he did not hold back. (laughs) I I think Chazelle is such an interesting, because I I do, I love his work, um, mostly Whiplash. Mm -hmm. Whiplash is one of my favorite movies. It's amazing. And I have complicated feelings about La La Land. I think that, uh... I think that Damien Chazelle is someone who wears his he wears his ideology and his obsessions on his sleeve. Uh-huh. And I don't think I can engage on the same level as him with like filmmaking, classic movies, all this like stuff that comes off as sort of pretentious, but then when he gets into like actual human conflict, that's when I care about yes. his movies. I think that's where he shines. Yes. Um and so I think this movie is very emblematic of that. Yes. Of like when you're engaging with the characters, you can get glimpses of it, but it is a little bit pretentious. It is a little obsessed with the iconography. It is mm-hmm. very, very aesthetic driven mm-hmm. rather than like plot driven. Yeah. But when you actually get to what he's trying to say, it's really, really good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So so this this particular film, in terms of tone, I mean, it's totally chaotic. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I, I have to like... echo everything you're saying. Pretentious is the word. I also have complicated feelings about La La Land, but we're not talking about La La Land today. But what I will say is, Mm -hmm. um, 
the music, right? So Justin, oh Justin Horowitz, he's the same composer that did La La Land. Mm-hmm. Um, the main driving uh, theme of the film is amazing. I love it. Yes. Um, but the rest of it is very reminiscent of La La Land. Um, but the actual, like the party scene anthem that mm-hmm. continues throughout the arc of the film is fantastic. And it really, I think, does a good job of capturing the entire tone of the film. Yeah. What he's I going for. I think that so much of this film, like it, it hinges on that one theme of the score. Like, um, when, because we're introduced to it in this initial scene that's about 20 minutes long. That's just this insane party at a movie producer's house. Right. And then every time, so the, the film, it'll like go through these like waves Mm -hmm. of intensity, right. They'll have, it's almost like vignettes, Mm -hmm. uh, or like, It'll have a stretch of something really, really intense, and it will have that theme behind it. And then it'll have moments of calm between it where you're able to interact with some of the intermittent characters. Mm -hmm. But so many of the heightened emotional states that are where this movie tends to shine are completely based on this, like, drum heavy brass mm-hmm. theme that we get from Hurwitz's score and it's absolutely which incredible. makes me feel some type of way <laughs> how so uh just i mean it, it like transports you i feel like oh, yeah absolutely um, into that era and and even though the music isn't necessarily reflective of that era it still helps create the world that Chazelle was going for absolutely i totally agree and that was extremely well done bravo and the editing really reflects it as well oh, it, yeah. it totally sucks you in and so like While this movie, it definitely does feel as long as it is. Like, it's not one of those where you're like, I can't believe I was sitting in a movie for three hours. It's entertaining the whole time. It is entertaining the whole time. And you feel, like, all of the things that you're supposed to feel as you're going through. And there are moments when you lose yourself in it. It's not the whole thing, but there are moments of gold. Uh, As as the great Harry Styles said, this movie feels like a movie. (laughs) It felt like a movie. This is the most movie movie. <laughs> it really is. Ever. This is Which, such like, a movie movie. You could movie. just see Damien Chazelle jerking off to like himself while making this, like, I'm doing it. Oh, yeah, I'm like the it. final scene. I, uh, the final scene, oh. you know that he was just like, oh, it's almost. It's almost uh. <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, as Wait, far what? as like tone, so, because you had mentioned, yeah, there are uh, peaks and valleys when it comes to. Um, the emotions and, and you know, uh, these story points that contain multitudes. However, the first time I saw this, and I'm curious if you felt the same way, I kind of feel like it it started so intense and on such a high note, and then it kind of, like, stayed at this really, like, there, I don't know, there, I'm having a hard time articulating this, um, <laughs> I don't know necessarily that it 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 allowed itself to ebb and flow in that emotional sense. Like I, I feel like it kind of does it does it give itself I, anywhere to go in terms of like I agree. intensity. Like, I don't know. I think that the energy has those ebbs and flows, but not necessarily the emotion or the plot. Yeah. And and honestly, when we're talking about the plot of this movie, I don't think that this movie has Mm-mm. a salient plot. It's not plot driven. Because it is character and, more than anything, industry-driven. Yes. Like, it's telling the story of the downfall of yes. an industry and the or complete... The, the transition. The transition from, and change of an industry. Yeah. yeah. And so, looking at that, it it doesn't have a plot as we would normally know yeah. it. And so, those, like, emotional 
experiences that we would expect from a fucking plot are not there. Yeah, I yeah. think, yeah, you nailed it. So, um, and also, we'll probably uh, harp on this several times throughout this episode, uh, but let me just say it once here and now. Um, for a three-hour fucking movie, and for being character-driven, this is a character-driven film, which I love. Like, I love a meandering plot that I, I am not, like, a plot person. That is really... That's probably why I tend to not love action films as much. Um, I, I am definitely I'm, more attached. Yeah, we're... We, I'm the opposite. Yeah, I'm a plot bitch. Yeah, no, that's... I, and I love that about us. Um, but for being a three-hour movie and being character-driven... There's no fucking excuse for how many characters you don't feel attached to and you don't care about and you want to because you, you, you want, of course you want to care about like the demise of, like I'm staring at these people for three hours. I am very, I don't care that much when they like vanish from the plot. And like, yes, there are so many characters and so many like, you know, various subplots going on, but like. That's still no excuse. Mm-hmm. Like you have three hours. Come on. Also, get, get like your shit together. you didn't have to write all of these characters. If nobody you didn't have made time for them. nobody made you do yeah. this. So we are going to jump into the main yeah. analysis of this, which because it's Let's a character-driven in. film, we're going to be analyzing the characters. Um, so we have, I believe, uh, six main characters that we're analyzing because we've got Manny on there twice, but Eleanor's on. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have six main characters that we're going to be discussing, talking about our thoughts, our feelings, how they're portrayed and how the film treats them. Um, so we're just going to dive in. So first we have Manny who, um, is the main character or mm-hmm. maybe not the, I, I don't know if I would call him the main character. He is the point of view character. Mm-hmm. And he, but he is mostly like a gopher. Like, yeah, he, how he starts as a gopher. Yeah. Like he drives a lot of the emotional interactions that we have, but not the plot. He doesn't. Well, well, actually, actually I don't know no, about yeah. that because the, the arc, like the story arc does, like we talked about it, it, it begins him. and ends with him. That's true. But, but it is difficult to say like who the protagonist is like necessarily because there are so many competing mm-hmm. important characters. That... Yeah, totally. So Manny is the point of view character. Um, he starts as a guy who is fetching an elephant in the desert and getting covered in elephant shit, as we have mentioned before. Um, we <laughs> the see first him, bodily fluid yeah. event. <laughs> we see him fall in love. We see him climb the ranks uh, as an executive at Kinescope. And was there another one? Did he? Uh-huh, MGM. MGM. Yeah. Yeah. So he works for multiple different studios. He helps in like ushering in the uh, talkies era. Mm-hmm. He gets jobs for several people. And he's the one who like... Uh, yeah, he's he's a very important figure in the way that this movie looks yes. at the industry. And I'll say, like, just to start, was absolutely phenomenal. Was. And if nothing else, if this film does nothing else for the world, for you, for your grandma, I'm just glad that it brought him into mm-hmm. the light. Because what an amazing performance by him. It's got, isn't it Curva? I just don't know if I'm pronouncing yeah, it right. I, Diego Calva. Wow, Calva, damn it. Okay. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, he is. And, and honestly, not only was his performance fantastic, but he's he's so endearing, and he really, he does take you on this journey. And I respect the shit out of Manny, yeah. because having worked in the industry as a PA, I know that that shit is no joke. Like, you you literally are expected to bend over backwards and do 
everything outside of your power even just to get make things happen. Mm-hmm. And Manny is one who will never he he will never limit himself. Yeah. He he's constantly like going above and beyond just to put himself on the map. Mm-hmm. And and I love too like he he has this wholesomeness about him because we learned at the party scene that he has these dreams, you know, he wants to be part of something important and bigger than himself. He yeah. wants to be on a movie set. That's his dream. And it is like, it's such a great, like, it, it feels like he's a bookend, which is one of the reasons mm-hmm. we we're like analyzing him at the beginning and at the end. We'll end with him, yeah. He, like, at the beginning, you see him talking about how he's never been on a movie set, but he's like willing to do it. He talks to one of the producers, played by Flea, which I love. <laughs> um, and he's like, I will do literally whatever you want me to, like, t- tell me what to do. Um, and he's just like looking for this opportunity for something more. And he talks about that with another character. And then at the end, he is a part of something. Oh, more. yeah. And it's, it's a very it's a great arc. And it's it's a really nice bookend. Yeah. You know, I, I really love Manny's character. I think they did a really great job, actually, of fleshing his character out while mm-hmm. they didn't with every character. Um, also. I forgot that Flea, so the one who plays one of the the studio um, yeah. execs, he tells him at the start because he he's he at, says you're he, where you're supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, he tells him he's like, no, you're 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 where you're supposed to be. Yeah, he's working um, as like a personal assistant for some low level exec or something. Yeah, like that. he's he's fetching animals. Like yeah, he's being shit on by elephants. Yeah. Um, and and uh, sneaking out potentially dead women yeah. <laughs> from the mansion. Um, but no, I, I think that that's a beautiful way to start his, like show his character because, mm-hmm. you know, how many of us have been told, like, mm-hmm. you're never going to make it, you know, it's kind of cliche, but mm-hmm. it's like, don't even, don't even try, you know, and, and Manny doesn't allow that to tamper his, like damper, dampen, dampen his spirit. Hello, words. Yeah. <laughs> nice and to meet you. It's great because, also, okay, so it's super interesting because you kind of just made me remember. So there's a part later on the studio lot, um, probably two-thirds of the way through the movie, maybe three-quarters, where Bob Levine, I believe is Flea's character's name, comes up to Manny and says, hey, you're doing a great job, offers him a job at another yeah. studio. And, like, at this point, he's in, like, a three-piece suit, and mm-hmm. he's, like, running shows and stuff like that. And so he's getting this external validation from someone who he had asked for validation earlier Mm -hmm. or not not even validation but like you know opportunity yeah but that's not the completion of his arc Mm -mm. because that was never his want it was something that it was an external signifier of his want but it wasn't what he needed and we don't see the full completion of his character until the end which Mm is i think is quite good writing yes uh really really good to see We'll give uh, that know. to you, yeah. Damien Chazelle, especially having a person of color. Oh yeah, like, huge fan. And of that. and the thing is, like in the silent era, silent film era, it wasn't as uncommon to have women directors as we see, um, or people of color. That kind of started happening later on once we did move into talkies, um, but it wasn't super common by any means. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong, but but I I do love that he chose to. Um, center so much of the story around a person of color who does, you know, incredible things. Yeah, it's it's great. Huge fans of Manny. Yeah, great, great linchpin for this movie. Oh my god, I love absolutely. It. And also, I love how like Manny he is fully embroiled in like the insanity of the movie. Like in every single one of those driving like chaotic scenes, oh, yeah. he's in it. He's taking action. He's pushing people around. He's 
got a chicken who just did coke at one point. <laughs> but like he is not one of the revelers. He is someone behind the scenes. And I, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, um, totally. Speaking of the revelers, though, is there anything else we want to say about Manny at this point? Um, I mean, I think that we'll probably dip back into him because his... Because he's so integral. He, yeah, he, he crosses a lot of different storylines with different characters. Mm-hmm. So we will definitely come back to him. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure there's more. I'm yeah. sure we'll get to him. Do we Do we want to go ahead yeah. and take a break? I think let's we take get a break. Back into it? And okay. then when we get back into it, we'll, we will be talking about a female character who we have thoughts about. So many thoughts. So many thoughts. And we're really excited to share them with you. Okay. Welcome back. We're back. Uh, we're, yeah. I hope everyone's feeling great so far. Um, we're just we're just dipping our toes in, so yeah. we're excited to really dive in now. And dive in we shall with the character of Nellie Leroy, mm-hmm. as played by the incomparable Margot Robbie. We love her. Fantastic performance. Yeah. Also, I heard that Emma Stone was up to play her first. And yeah. honestly, like I'm glad that Margot Robbie was the one who ended up. Me too. Like, she definitely has more of a wild child vibe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, I appreciate that, like, they cast Margot Robbie as Nellie, and then um, I... Samara Weaving as Constance. Uh, oh yeah, the, Constance like, counter- Moore. Yeah, yeah and the they look so similar. They look so similar, but then they like do not look similar in this movie. Right. Um, yeah. So I thought that was a cute little, um, I don't know, Easter egg yeah. on par with like casting Amy Adams and Isla Fisher in that one in, movie. Oh my god. In uh, oh, what is that called? Nocturnal Animals. Yes. Oh my god, that movie though. Um, I fucking holy we shit. Talk about that we, movie. That's that, a movie. That'll be an experience. Yeah. I've only uh, seen it once. I think it dropped. Me too. Me, me too. So I saw it at the Broadway, and I was like, I, "All I can think about is all the titties." There's a lot of titties <laughs> in movie. But I often think about titties, so <laughs> <laughs> that's why the podcast is called "Bisexually Alive." Uh, yeah. So, so hopefully, if anyway, okay. Nellie Leroy. <laughs> yes, Nellie. She is a character, and um, our, our first introduction to Nellie Leroy is her driving. What it might be a stolen car. We into, find out later it yeah. is. It's not her. Oh, it's anyway. the same car though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, it is a stolen car driving it into a statue at the party at the studio executive's house and being like, oh, there's just statues popping up everywhere. <laughs> Which is like big mood, but um we have some issues with this character. We do. We do. We so where to start? I mean I guess let me start with what I like yeah. about her. Yeah. Um so I will say yes. Like I said, I think Margot Robbie gave it her all. She literally leaned into this so hard. Out of the park, um, yeah. And she was phenomenal. Um, but unfortunately, can you tell? Her character was written by a cis, white, hetero male. <laughs> and, and one who is, you know... Audibly jacking off in the background. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've already not, covered not, that. Yeah. <laughs> she is, like, the way that she's characterized is so aesthetically driven. Yes. And so you see her partying and dancing and, and doing all of these things. Um, at one point, she is, like, able to cry in this, like, super precise way on camera. Mm-hmm. Her first time on set. Yeah, exactly. She's, like... I love that scene. We'll talk about it that is very Let's talk about that in a second. Um, I love it. But, like... <laughs> It's all, it's all external. It's all aesthetic. It is yes. all 
because she is an object rather than something that a real person is coming up with, right? This character is a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. We, Danny and I, I think you're the one who finally like made like, yeah, made that realization, but we were driving in the car on our way to go see this a second time. Mm -hmm. And I was expressing my feelings, how there's just something that's missing there. There's something that I couldn't quite connect with. There's something that just didn't work. And yes, because she is the silent film era Manic Pixie Dream Girl, a.k.a. Wild Child, which they literally coin her Wild Child. (laughs) Absolutely. And, like, it's so... You can see glimpses of, like, wanting it to be something more, like her relationship with her dad and, like, some hints at stuff, but there is so little internality. Um, And it's just... it, It comes off, like... I this is I do not fault Margot Robbie for this at all. Exactly. She gave it she so it. much more like depth. She than made it. a meal out of what she was given. Absolutely. She gave this character so much depth when if you're just looking at the way it was written on the page, I don't think that depth was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, she was able to carry it off because she is an incredibly talented actress with a lot of charisma and a lot of like understanding of what drives a character like this. Yes. But she was not given any of that. Mm-hmm. And none of it all of it is like hinted at well, I, know I would mean. say it's told not shown which like you're supposed, you're to, supposed like, to like show, show not tell, tell. <laughs> but she's it, we're, we're not even being told Mm-mm. it's just being hinted at it's like these oblique references to this girl is special and like the only I think the point of her character is I'm a star I'm special all of these things I because she says when she's introduced like I'm a star she doesn't have a contract. She's never been in anything, but she's a star because Manny's you don't... like, what have I seen you in? What? Yeah, like, you don't become a star. You're born a star. Mm-hmm. And it really leans into that when all of us know that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. she exists... There have been studies. Yeah. <laughs> this character is a product of a reality that doesn't exist, and therefore it's so hard to connect with her. You because, feel that. There's a yeah, hollowness. She, it is hollow. Yeah, so that's our that's our manic pixie She's dream girl. She's the hollow take. wild child, yeah. and it's not Margot Robbie's fault. We it's do not fault because we, we blamed... know you listen to this, Margot Robbie, and we need you to know that we do not blame you. The finger we is pointed you. at the the self masturbatory, uh, pretentious cinephile. This is okay. This character, I don't even... I think that he thought he was writing a good character, right? Because there are hints at internal aspects of her and stuff. But, like, this is... It, she's just not examined. She's not... Uh, yeah. I don't know. We, well, because, like, we briefly see her. So after the party scene, which, let me just say, I really do love her performance in the party scene as well. She's totally unhinged. Um, she is, you know, dancing in this extremely sensual way throughout the whole thing. She finds all the drugs, uh, which isn't hard to find, yeah. but still. Um, and uh, Can I by just, the time... Yeah, yeah, interject, at, at, please. At one point in this script, it describes it as, like, a, an orchestra of, like an insane orchestra of just like people dancing and partying and all that. And she is the conductor. She is the one standing over it. And she commands that that room. She commands the screen. It's so well done. hundred percent. Which is why she gets discovered then. And I honestly think that that was an incredibly, like it was a super strong start to her character. Mm -hmm. It's only later that it drops off. Yeah. I agree. Because right after, so she, she gets seen by, by flea, right? By one of the studio heads. And, 
because of the fact that the woman peeing on the fatty Arbuckle type in his belly button, um, she ODs. We don't know if she dies or not, but yeah. she can't work the next morning. They're supposed to be on set. Um, and so they're like, well, shit, who the fuck invited her anyway? We got to find a replacement. And um, and then they look out and they see Nellie. She's standing on some tabletop. She is literally conducting this chaotic party. And they're like, her, her, we need her. And so, and then when we see her the next morning, so she goes home because they're like, hey, you have to be on set in a few hours. Go get some sleep. We see she is living in this like completely um, impoverished, you know, it's it looks like a crack house. <laughs> and so, you know, they're trying to show us like, okay, she she's come from rags and this is the beginning of her story to riches, right? But like, like you said, it's like, it's just a tiny crumb of background that would help us actually relate to this character and see what is inside of her. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's just a crumb, you know, and that's, and it continues to get crummier and crummier, I'd say. Yeah. And I will say like on a rewatch, I think I did see more things that I, I thought would, were building out her character more. Like later you see a lot of strife between her and her dad. Her dad is obviously a drunk and she goads him into fighting a snake, yep. which is great. <laughs> Um, it's a very fun scene. Uh, super weird. I don't know. It's a fun scene. I will just say, it since we're cut. here, since we're here again, the fact that the characters that we love and wanted more of, AKA Sydney Palmer, Lady Faye, the fact that their stories get shortchanged and this fucking 15 minute long, at least mm-hmm. snake scene, which is fun, but what does it really add to the, any of the characters or story? Like we kind of already knew that all of them were at this point. Like, Anyway, but yeah, yeah, I don't know why um, you brought up the snake scene. So yeah, so uh, like, I, I think that the snake scene, like you see some of the conflict that she experiences with her oh, dad with the father. and, her, and yes. her past. Yes. And then, I don't know, there are certain aspects that I'm like, you could have built that out. You could have just like, give me a few more shots, a few more lines, a few more things delving into this person. Mm-hmm. Because as it is, she feels positioned as the wild child, the manic pixie dream girl and then everything is sort of built around that. Almost like, okay, when writing a character, the way I prefer to do it is like you have the like foundations and, and maybe they're like, we could picture it as like a tripod maybe. You've got like the three legs of the tripod and then you put something on top of the three legs, right? I feel like in Nellie's case, she was built from the top down. So she's like a balloon and she's got these three like these hints of character mm. tying her to the ground, but she's not, not enough going to anywhere. Her. Not enough to support her. And it's it would have been analogy. so easy to like build those up a little bit more. Yeah. Because, it wouldn't take much. Yeah. And I, I think, and I wonder, I wonder if Damien Chazelle knew that's what he was doing. I wonder if he intended to only engage with this character on an iconographic level and an aesthetic level. If he intentionally kept back aspects of her personality from us, I can't tell. I had that thought as well. Yeah. I wonder if, because of the fact that that is emblematic of how women are treated in general in the industry and they are like, like, because he, he's very aware, I think of, especially in film history, Mm -hmm. like he, he knows more than any of us here. Definitely more than me. Yeah, for sure. Um, So yeah, I actually did have that thought. 
But if he was going to make that an intentional choice, that needed to be clear. I, I would have loved to see her reacting to that because yeah. we see her reacting to these attempts to tame her mm-hmm. later in the movie. She's done up in finger waves and in a hideous dress. Oh my gosh. When taken, she goes to that yeah, party, the cocktail Taken to party. this awful party where she... To impress these... Yeah. She attempts to like put on an accent and then she ends up vomiting on the floor. Well, and this is Manny trying to salvage her career as an actor post transitioning to talkies. Yeah. And so you see her rejecting the like aspects of like civilization Mm -hmm. and trying to make her something she's not. Yes. But I wish we could have seen like if the point of her character was was the objectification, then we should have seen her reacting to that as well. When that's not what we got at all. And while we're at the party scene, I would like to say that that scene really drove me crazy. Oh my God, Because Nellie Leroy has made it very clear from the beginning that she is a star and she's willing to do whatever it takes Mm -hmm. to rise up and make this happen. And... So she she was she rose to success so quickly, which happened a lot, um, especially in the silent era. And, you know, she killed it. Like Danny said, she was able to produce single tears on command, you know, her first day on set. And then because of the fact that times were changing and um, the country has always obviously a Christian nation, like, but the more the morale, I think, of. Not the morale. The morality. Morale. Or morality. Oh, what are you... What, are you uh, what I'm trying to say is, as... Um, the, yeah, the morality of the nation started shifting, and the people who were holding the power and the money on the surface were very moralistic. Mm-hmm. And, and so, because of that, studios had to start making changes in, in the... the um, behavior of their stars, right? right. They had to polish so they, them. Yeah, so that they couldn't be having orgies all night. Right, exactly. Yeah. And they did, they just continued to get lower and deeper as we find later in Tobey Maguire's character, literally in the sewers. I totally um, forgot about that dude, entire that thing. Th- well, because it comes out of left field at the end, like introducing characters that late in the game. Come on, we'll get there. You could have got that all. 100%. But to be fair, oh my God, I loved Tobey Maguire's performance though. <laughs> so oh, my God. oh my God. Yes. Um, but anyway, uh, sorry I butchered trying to explain no, how so morality sorry. came into the picture at that right. point. But but that's something that was realistic. So, so Manny's right. trying to salvage her career, right? He's doing because he's in love with her he's yeah. smitten he he would do anything to help her. They're tethered together. They started their journey together and they're, you know, he's like by Jove, I'm not going to let you fall out of the picture now. But she would have, the way that they portray her experience in this whole scene is that she literally cannot, um, she cannot gather the ability to pull this off. Yeah. Like she's, she's trying, but she just can't. And I don't believe that. Yeah. like I, I think that the, the Nellie Leroy that I believe in, that I believe is there, would have just been able to keep it together a little bit or at least like pacify them to yeah. a point where it really is it's a manic pixie dream girl trope that like she can't be tamed like it's not just yes. that she was a star and she was performing and she was an excellent performer it's that she was perfectly configured to only be able to exist as a silent film star mm-hmm. and like to a certain extent i think that that applies to jack conrad um who we will talk about in just a few minutes but it's it's treating her as an animal who can't adapt mm-hmm. 
And maybe that's the point. Maybe they're trying to make a point about it being hard to transition in the industry. But, but it feels I don't like an think, insult. Yeah, it is an insult. It doesn't feel like a real character. She is becoming a plot point and a, like a point to be made about something rather than a character who can adapt and change and feel deeply. Well, and also like on that note, so we know that this is a fictional world that Damien Chazelle has created living within actual parameters of truth, right? Mm -hmm. There are um, characters and certain studios that are real, right? We have MGM, but then we have Kinescope, which is different. It's fictional. Um, So her character loosely is based on Clara Bow, Joan Crawford types. And if, if I would say if Joan Crawford was in that situation, she absolutely would have held her shit together and just pulled it off and made it happen. Yeah. And I, I think personally, if, if the point is that she tries and tries and isn't able to, that's one thing. But the way I think that this scene, um, what this conveys is that, yeah, she's incapable to a point where... Um, yeah, it's an insult. I'm just repeating yeah. myself. But and it just I, pisses me off. It flattens <laughs> her character to the point where it's just, it's insulting. And I want to give Chazelle the benefit of the doubt, despite everything, all the <laughs> shit I'm talking about him. Like, it is sort of a tragic trope that this character can't adapt. But like, given everything else that we've been led to understand about her, it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is tragic. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, um, I, I have like... Again, because this story, there's so much cross-cutting between different, like, characters and storylines. There's so much more. Like, I want to talk about her and Lady Faye, but I think we can hold that. Yeah, I think until let's hold we, off for Lady yeah. Faye. That's when we'll talk about the yeah. queer representation Ugh, specifically. Because we also because have thoughts on that. <laughs> we are mad. Yeah. Um, um, what else are we missing about Nellie? Do you... I think that's it. That's all I have about Nellie. Yeah, I mean, there's always more. But I there's... think for, for our purposes right now, I feel good about that. Yeah. Um, Let it be known that I will be talking about Nellie Leroy until I die. Uh, but for now, we're good. Yeah. I know we had talked about like some anachronisms in like the costume choice, but yeah. well, I just want to say that I, I did kind of clock that and I, I don't really know how I feel about it. Um, her, her, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I fuck with it. That's I good. think it's aesthetic. I, like, it's a choice. Yeah, it's a choice. It's intentional. That's a wrap on Nelly for now. Yeah. We'll be back for you, wild child. Let's talk about Jack Conrad, who is seems to be the character that Chazelle cared about most. Yes. Um, he kind of has the most complete arc, other than Manny, yeah. I would say. Um, uh, it is, is a tragic arc, but it, it is a it is, complete arc. But it's predictable. Yeah. Um, Brad Pitt played Jack Conrad. Yeah. I want to read out the description oh, yeah. that we get from Jack. Uh, of- this is from the script, yeah. from the screenplay. Um, the character blah, blah, description blah. is as follows, read by our wonderful Danny. If I can find my fucking I believe notes. in you. I saw it pulled up a second ago. Okay, here is the description of him from the script, the screenplay. This is Jack Conrad, 50 but ageless. Think 70s Nicholson crossed with Mastroianni at peak cool, plus a dash of Willy Wonka. Despite an air of ribe amusement at the circus around him, he makes sure to treat that circus with grace, like a gentleman would. So when we talk about Chazelle being pretentious, this is what we mean. But <laughs> yeah. damn, like, like... It's so accurate. It's very accurate. It's and, so and Brad Pitt does a great job encapsulating all of that. Yeah. He understood the assignment. And I think... Partially, he understood the assignment because the assignment seems to be to have been made for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he absolutely captured this perfect like silent film star guy, very Gene Kelly, which he, 
I don't I don't know anything about silent film. I'm gonna be real, guys. <laughs> no, um, yeah, he he definitely has Gene Kelly vibes. Um, yeah. Um, this is such an interesting character. You see him. Jack <laughs> is incredibly pretentious. Uh, the first time you see him, he's babbling in Italian and his wife is saying, you don't fucking, you're not you're fucking not Italian. If you speak Italian. One more time. <laughs> I'm going to divorce you. Which Olivia Wilde, great performance. Yeah. Too bad we don't see more of her, but that's Five okay. whole <laughs> seconds of her screaming at Brad Pitt. I love it. I would watch it for an hour. Um, maybe not. That's but he all. still has like charm about him. Like yeah. even though he is incredibly, he has this air of just like this pompousness. He's still like, you still fuck with him. Like I yeah. do. I like him. This is Brad Pitt in his Clooney years. Mm-hmm. Like this is mm. such charm and suaveness and everything that a refined, uh, like society values in yes. men. He's very good at it. He's constantly talking about like, elevating the genre mm-hmm. and things that he's done and and the way that he engages with art he's talking about Bauhaus which he doesn't seem to understand what <laughs> at one point he's like writing a script well while in this tent on on oh the God, silent yeah. on the silent um, um silent film, lot. film lot and everything is like going to shit around him he's getting drunk mm-hmm. <laughs> he's getting drunk and he's yelling at his assistants and he's like we got to make it Bauhaus Bauhaus! <laughs> you know what Bauhaus is? You know what is? I mean by Bauhaus? He goes, not in this context, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Um, yeah. I fucking love this scene. So it's good. It's so well done. It's so just insane. The insanity is palpable. Um, but I love, and this kind of like goes back to Manny a little bit too, talking about how he, yes, he's like the gopher. Yes, he is like at the the bottom of the barrel at this point but he saves the day here right they they go through how many cameras 10 Ten. right yeah. they had wrecked 10 cameras and i and i also just have to give a little shout out to spike jones um his performance as the german director in that's this spike scene jones. that was spike jones yes, yes. I, didn't, I didn't know what spike jones looked like yeah that's Hang spike on. jones can you like paint us a picture of this whole scene because i feel like it is like the peak of these main three characters like manny nelly and jack they're at their best here yeah. and i would love if you could just like describe what goes on I'm absolutely okay. yeah so okay so we like i kind of mentioned before when we first see nelly um pursuing her very first role on set um we follow her she gets to set and we immediately see this vast desert landscape where there are multiple different films being shot at once because sound was not in the picture yet the the game was totally different they were able to get away with so much more and we see horses running through all of these different film sets we see we see i mean there might as well be explosions it These is are definitely so, on fire and there is a fire yeah. at some point and they just shoot right through it yeah. um it's it is it is such orchestrated chaos and and it's so oh you just it really does transport you there because yeah. it's it's amazing you um, absolutely get why they talk about the film uh lot being the most magical place on earth yeah because both and and it's just i mean it's it's incredible um so we we go to uh Nelly's film set where um you know there's a woman director which is pretty cool and she is just thrust into this uh, chaos, right? And and around them, 
um, are multiple different bands that are basically providing sound um, like a score for each different set. So it's just it's just a lot to take in. Um, and then the big picture that's being shot is this one that Brad Pitt is starring in, right? His He's the ultimate picture, star. His costume yeah. picture, yes. And that is where we meet Spike Jones, the German director. Um, he is hilarious in it. He's losing his mind because they have gone through 10 cameras that have just gotten wrecked um, and they don't have any more. And they only have a couple hours of daylight left. Um, Which, like, if you've ever been in film, you know that that's, like, the you, worst thing. Because then, if you don't get the shot, then you have to do it all over again the next day. that's a you lot of money. So much money. And, like, they've already had issues with, like, the people that they recruited from, I think, Skid Row to oh, come and, like, So they're extras. Oh, my God, Yeah, Manny. there's so oh. many extras. And, and they like, start going. Will, they yeah. start going on strike, and yeah. and basically that's Manny's first. So so Manny just takes um, Brad Pitt to Jack to set. Right, mm-hmm. he's just like escorting him, and and then Jack takes such a liking to Manny yeah. that he goes, oh. Manny, you got any experience with the uh, with strikes? <laughs> and and he's like. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Just just lie and make it happen. Yep. And so then so we see like it's got to be like what at least 60, maybe oh, at least. 100. I, I would plus say over 100. Extras yeah. who are all yeah, they look like they came from Skid Row. They did and they're paying them next to nothing, right? Yeah. Just like pennies. And and Manny, oh my God, you see him on a horse with a gun <laughs> wrangling these extras. It is phenomenal. <laughs> And oh and Jack's God. like told you he was good. Oh, it's so great. It's so good. It's it's such a great like Manny will get this done. Uh-huh. He will get this yeah, done. and he does every yeah, time. It's so good. And then he proves himself again when he's when they say, "Okay, put Manny on it. Find a camera." Yeah. And and he waits around for this camera. He goes to a rental house. All the cameras are out. They've already been rented out. And the 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 two guys working that rental We're house, both of us, when we worst. saw that together, we were cringing so hard. Because we know people like this. Oh, my God. They're, talk about pretentious. Like, Manny's like, okay, um, do you have any cameras? And he's like, well, which kind do you need? And, Talking so and, and then he's like, well, there's the, I don't remember, like the C89 or the C87. And he's like, what's the what's, difference? Uh, Hey, John, he wants to know what the difference is. Like, just ridiculous. Um, but anyway, Manny, Manny realizes that by the time he gets the camera, because he waits around, he waits around, he finally gets it. There are probably only about 45 minutes left of daylight at this point. Yeah. He's sweating. He's like, this is my chance to prove myself. What does he see out of the side of his eye? An ambulance. Yes. He fucking hijacks the ambulance, rides it to set. While we, we cut back to... Um, Spike Jones, this director, just like biting his nails, like shit. Losing. We we, sh- we shit the bed. This is yeah. it. Like we we screwed it. Yeah. It's we're not going to be able to like come back from this. It's over. And then we all of a sudden hear this siren, and he's like, "What? What is this shit?" And we see Manny just just coming in hot with the camera, and everyone praises him. And it's just yeah. such a great scene. They, I love it so yeah. much. They get the camera in place, and then they're like, "Okay," because this this camera is to like film the last final like kiss between Jack and his co-star right and it's like the sun and is it's supposed so be- to be and the, the butterfly it's so oh my god so, it's like, beautiful it's I love the like magical realism yes, of this scene yes. so like they come in um Jack stumbles out of his tent pissed drunk uh-huh he's falling down <laughs> yeah, as is- they're like going up the hill to mm-hmm. film this he's a pro though he's what so- does he do yeah and then like mm-hmm. so he's like falling over drunk Maybe pissing himself. Someone has to catch him, yeah. Yeah. And then 
we roll. As soon as they start rolling. Turns on. And he calls action. Oh my God. He walks up to the woman. It's the most magical, amazing they thing. They share this passionate kiss. The sun is going down in the background perfectly. A butterfly lands on his, uh, on his shoulder. The one and only shot you're ever going to get. It's perfect. And it, it is. And I do love, this is a good time to bring up um, the device that Damien Chazelle uses by cutting to the black and white actual like film oh my print. God, it's so and it's, good. it's so gorgeous. And it just kind of gives you chills. And you realize like, it is magical. They are capturing it takes, this. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it takes so much to get all this together and make something so beautiful and so emotional and so pure. Like this is a time before the irony poisoning poisoning of today. Like this is so there was a purity to yeah. it. Yeah. Despite all the debauchery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And maybe because of the debauchery. Mm-hmm. Um, that contrast, though. It's just so incredible because you could do it quick and cheap and easy and, mm-hmm. and dirty. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's such a good scene. And, like, the music crescendos. And at the same time, you see Nelly like, absolutely slaying her performance while things are exploding mm-hmm. in the background and there's smoke everywhere. People are That's cheering That's when she gets her. noticed. It yeah, is, she... It's yeah. such a culmination. And, like, if you watch nothing else from this movie, I highly recommend watching this scene specifically. Watch that scene and then the f- the scene where they are shooting their first talkie. <laughs> oh, my God. That one's so are, good. I think, my favorite, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, I, the whole I film. agree. Those scenes fuck. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have to have worked on film sets to, to appreciate get it, it. Because but they, it, they really bring it but to But if you. you do... Uh, trigger warning, possibly. <laughs> I was sweating for that AD, and we'll talk about oh my that God, scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, Jack. Anyway, it's we abs- just anyway. Yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up that scene. It um, is a great scene, and and it shows really how Jack is such a pro. Like he's able to just turn it on. Like, and I definitely think that that scene is the encapsulation of both Jack and Nelly in their like kind of what we talked about with Nelly earlier, like they were only built for, for, for silent, silent film. film. Yeah. Like this is where they exist. This is where the magic happens. This is the only thing they can do. And they do it so perfectly. And, and it's a beautiful representation. I think of how many people experienced that and suffered through that because yeah. really by the time silent, silent film was, you know, moot and, and the, the rug was, Pulled, out, pulled from out from under them. Thank you. Um, they silent film was at its p. It was at its pinnacle. I mean, it was they had mastered that art form mm-hmm. and and they were doing so much with it. And then it just became totally void. Like yeah. it just, yeah. It's, it's it's such a beautiful examination of what it was and what it became and how it died. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what I else think, about Jack? Yeah, huh? one um, thing that I will say, you'd mentioned like him talking about elevating the art, pushing boundaries um, when it comes to film. He's like, you know, there's there's so much more. We have to keep pushing it. I, lo- I thought that was really good writing because as we learn, that becomes his demise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the evolution of film ends up literally kicking him out mm-hmm. of the industry. Yeah, and that's something that I, they did a really good job. Like, that's a main theme, and they did a great job of addressing it. I mm-hmm. think that they 
really engage with it because he's the one who sends Manny to New York to see the jazz singer um, in person yeah, and like to go scout it out, mm-hmm. see if see if this sound thing is really gonna yeah. stick. If it's and, just a trend, yeah. And he's the first person who Manny calls when he realizes that the jazz singer is getting a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you you see him pushing for this, but then the industry leaves him behind. Mm-hmm. In the first probably 30 seconds of him being on screen, he's like walking through this the party at the executive producer's house and he is talking to people and someone comes up to him and calls him JC. Uh, oh, yeah. Because his name is Jack Conrad, calls him JC. Um, and I have not been able to stop thinking about this. I'm sure it was intentional. I don't know what you're trying to say, Damien. I think it's like an ironic reflection on immortality mm-hmm. because as a JC yeah JC as a Christ figure uh because when the medium starts leaving him behind uh because like he was at his height right and then you see him like people start ducking his calls eventually he's not able to perform on screen very well uh he like gets when, mocked yeah he yeah. gets mocked at one point he like goes to a um uh, what do you call it? Like a, another theater at where one of his films is showing and he's doing the whole, like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And the entire crowd is like screaming in laughter yeah, at this it romance. It, bre- it breaks him. Yeah. And he goes to see this woman, Eleanor St. James. That's her name. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like they have a conversation about the demise of silent films and you know, uh, Jack Conrad, he's talking about like, I'm dying. Like this is, this is the end of my career. Like, why are people ducking my calls, everything? And Eleanor just says, like, you thought that this all needed you, and it doesn't. But being a part of the films, being in these, this grants you immortality. Like, in 80 years, someone who's born in 40 years will be able to see you on a screen and recognize you and, and know you and feel seen because of the things that you put to film. And Which I loved. That, that speech, her monologue, so it was good. beautiful. Oh it was one of my favorite moments of writing, actually. And that is the moment where you truly see why Chazelle made this film mm-hmm. and why he loves film. Mm-hmm. And I think that like it, um, it's a very similar feeling and experience that I had when watching the end of La La Land, too. It's like these feelings, these emotions, these people that you are capturing, they are functionally immortal because you can connect with them. Mm-hmm. And this speech that Eleanor is giving Jack about his own immortality that he's achieved, not by furthering the genre, but just by being an actor mm-hmm. and being there and creating emotional experiences for people. Like that's powerful. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I like for all that I make fun of like how pretentious Jack Conrad is and how like, yeah, it's like, it's a very simple, not a simple character, but like, we sort of stock. Well, yeah, I was gonna say it's a stock character. We've seen this time and yeah. time again. Like for all that, I think this character still matters and is beautiful. Well, totally. Yeah, I, and I think like his demise, his ultimate demise. Oh yeah, because he does die. Yeah, he by his own choice. Maybe that's why he's called JC because the whole story is the story of him dying and being resurrected <laughs> once yeah. again. Because he it takes him a while to yeah. finally fall off for good. Yeah. Um, but. I think to me, speaking of him being a stock character and kind of a bit of a cliche, um, 
there's a reason for that. I mean, I think that this is a relatable thing to many people kind of becoming irrelevant. And I think it's a really big fear that people have. Um, Especially in an industry that moves so fast and is currently in the middle of such a tumultuous time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I, and I think that him taking his own life, um, you know, we have that scene where it's a little bit voyeuristic. He goes into the bathroom and we're kind of on the other side of the door and the door's cracked open and we don't really see him, but then we hear the gun go off. I am curious to hear your thoughts. I don't think we've discussed this yet. No, as far as him, Damien Chazelle choosing to write him off in that way. I wonder if Jack Conrad really would take his life like that but let, what I'll say is I think it's an easy choice because it's like we've seen it so many times and it just reminds me of a star is born really but it's it's a very it's this story's been told over and over again and it's someone who is introducing new people into their art and trying to further other people's careers and ends up inadvertently excusing themselves out of the picture oh, okay. it's similar to that and they and end up um taking their own life yeah yes and and okay. I think I don't know like I mean, it's a sensitive thing, and I and I understand that this is this is a real thing yeah. that we deal with. But but I don't know. Like, I guess he just maybe wanted to end on a high note, and he just. I think. So, I have a lot of thoughts that are kind of running through my head. Let's see if I can. Let's talk about it real time. Them. Yeah. I love that. So, <clears throat> I believe that Jack saw himself as an actor first, and everything else second, right? And that defined him. Yeah, Absolutely. that was what defined him. And he was so popular. He was, like, approached by all these people. Someone got a tattoo of him on their back. Like, all of these things came from the fact that he was a skilled actor. And he had paved the way for a lot of actors mm-hmm. in Hollywood. He talks When he's talking to Eleanor, he says, like, when I first moved to Hollywood, there were signs on some of the doors that said, no actors or dogs allowed. And I changed that. So he so much of his sense of self-worth and value and personhood comes from being an actor, but not just an actor, not just a performer, but one who is respected, mm-hmm. one who is well-known, one who is liked. And so while he could have pivoted to something else, while he could have become mm. a power broker in the new Hollywood, while he could have easily excused himself from the screen and instead become a producer or something, he couldn't conceive of himself that way. And also, like, all of the ridicule that he was experiencing from, like, the flops that he was feeling, the fact that people were dodging his calls who used to, like, beg to be in the room Yeah, with revere him, him yeah. completely. Like, that is more than anything. Like, it's less a logical choice of my career is over and more an emotional descent of I am no longer a person. The things that made me valuable before are no longer... This wasn't no an identity apply. crisis yeah. that he cared to battle yeah he... exactly and like it's not about going out on a high note because he was already mm. a flop by yeah, this point he'd been ridiculed already yeah and he was so tired in that last scene before he um because he has a conversation with lady Faye before he Aww. uh completes suicide and he like they're talking and he had just gotten married i think or, or his was, third marriage yeah I think. he was in the middle or was it was engaged, the fourth marriage or, on screen oh. and sh- he says like she has no idea that it'll end the exact same way as all the rest of them and that is a very depressive thought like that is a thought that hangs out in people's minds when they're experiencing suicidal thoughts of yeah. like this is a cycle and it keeps getting worse and nothing is going to change nothing's going to get better 
And so the combination of the loss of identity and this feeling of cyclicality, I totally get. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, it may be sort of a stock event mm-hmm. in the character. But again, but there's a reason why it is. incredibly well written. Yeah. yeah, I think that his arc is very complete and justified mm-hmm. on every level. Thank you for those thoughts. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Good. <I'm glad. laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really, the more I think about Jack Conrad, like I don't like him as a person, but I love him as a character. Mm-hmm. And I think that he slots perfectly into the story that Chazelle is trying to tell with this movie. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Well he's, done. he's like thematically, he's more of a linchpin than Manny is plot wise. Definitely not. Yeah. But thematically, agreed. this is the heart of yes, the story. Absolutely. And it's the best developed part. Yeah. And this revolving door of stardom and how, yes, you're immortalized, but that doesn't mean that you are going to feel that immortalization. Other people will reap those benefits of the immortalization. You won't. And you just have to trust in that. Which I kind of love. Like, I I like the idea of immortality that doesn't service you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's something really hefty to that. Um, I don't know where we are. Yeah. I think we're going to take another break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the representation problems that we saw in this movie and uh yeah probably go from there winterhawk podcasting presents lower 48 a horror storytelling podcast presented bi-weekly starting march 8th listen on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Right, we are back. Hi. Hi. We're we're just realizing that um, it's been over an hour and we're feeling good. Yeah. This are is we fun. a bit fatigued? No. no. Okay. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Hopefully you're not though. Hopefully no. you're having a grand time I'm with feeling, us. I feel like when you're like, I don't know. Oh, sorry. You're. <laughs> I thought you were saying you. You're talking about the listener. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hopefully sorry. The listener the listeners. is still interested. <laughs> yeah. You didn't see me point to the. That doesn't make sense. Pointing to the microphone. Anywho. Uh, you. You. <laughs> you. You. <laughs> Aggressively points. Um, anyway, welcome back. Uh, we have some important stuff to cover now. Yeah. Um, these are kind of the more enraging points. We've we've covered what we really love and some of the issues we've had so far, um, but this is where it's going to get into more problematic territory, I'd say. Personally, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Sidney Palmer. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, first of all... Love him. Absolutely loved him. Incredible character. Um, so, Sidney okay. Palmer. Sidney Palmer. Played by Giovanna Depo. Yes. Um one of my favorite characters that I just wish got more time and attention and love and yeah, screen time. Absolutely. Because, okay, so with Sidney Palmer's character, um, you know, there's so much there that just doesn't get the time and attention that it needs. And I would love to see an entire film just about his storyline because it is very important and it it is representing something that deserves, you know, a full... Three hours on its own. Um, but so I was listening to a podcast called Next Best Picture Podcast, and they covered Babylon. And one of the um, 
one of the guests on the podcast, I can't remember who, but I do want to give them some credit, had made a really good point that resonated with me. And they made the point that they think that this film would benefit from being made into a miniseries so that each character and each storyline could have like its own full arc, you know? And I would love to see that. Because like Danny said earlier, you know, it does kind of serve this uh, vignette style a lot of times. Um, anyway, yeah. I, I think that would be really cool. And I, I, it would have given, like, you would have been able to expound upon some other, like, aspects of the show and then also give these other characters a lot more, like, credit and, and depth that we really don't get. So Sidney Palmer, he is a, a musical artist. He plays the trumpet. And we see him in that second scene, the one at the party. And he it's really, really great to see him because he is playing with his band. And um, he's in the middle of this chaotic scene. There's an elephant at one point. Mm -hmm. There are people like fucking and fighting and all of this different stuff all around him. And he is just this like sturdy presence. Uh, a couple times you see the camera and the lighting treat him as like the fixed point as the the world and the um the room just sort of like revolve around him and i think that that is like such a good visual indicator of who this character is mm -hmm. without even saying a single word Absolutely. he's also an incredibly talented trumpet player he's so fun to see perform he has so much like mm -hmm. movement with it yes um and then also like you see some really fun interactions with him and his bandmates and like the um things there um, interactions and uh, like interpersonal aspects Absolutely, there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but but um, we don't know anything about him. We exactly they don't give us every other character, even if it's a little bit skimped on. Like with Lady Faye, we see her family background, we see her house. We don't see that with Sydney Palmer. I think we see Bri one shot when he's one shot when he's like and when he's with the rest of his crew. But mm -hmm. but it's just not enough to give no. us a full idea of. Who he really is. Yeah, it's very much like seeing a member of a band at a show and then not seeing them again. Like, you don't get any insight into him. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, so after we transition to the talkies, right. they're doing that singing in the rain bit. And Sidney Palmer, you know, they're not... He's playing in the band. Um, and then we see Manny, because at this point, Manny has... He's, again... He's, he's worked his way he's, up a little bit. He has. He's climbed the ladder. Um, and he's he has a conversation with Sidney Palmer and he goes, what do you, what do you make of this? Mm -hmm. And Sidney Palmer's kind of taken aback. He's like, you're asking me? And he goes, yeah, what do you make of this? And he says, I think you should turn the camera around right. on the band. Because the, which leads to... Mm -hmm. <laughs> which leads to him having his own show, essentially. So mm -hmm. he is able to lead an entire band and they're showing this whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so... It is a very, it's a pretty thin plot, honestly. It is. Like, you do see him at the same party that Nellie goes to when yeah, she's all done up. Yeah, they go to that same up. cocktail party. Um, he is sitting down and people are like, oh my God. Like, Black like they're media. Asking, yeah, like, they're asking him so many questions and he just looks so uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Um, because he is being treated as an object. Yeah, he's the token mm -hmm. person of color for them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's quite interesting. But the, definitely the most memorable scene with Sidney Palmer is one that we want to discuss. He is leading a band um, mm -hmm. in, on the... On like camera, They're filming they're, on yeah. camera um, on one of the studio sets. And Manny is an executive here. Mm -hmm. And the director comes to Manny and says, Manny, we've got a problem, we've got a problem. Sydney looks white and the band looks mixed. So because of the way that the lighting is set up, Sydney is getting a lot of like glare off of his skin. 
And so he doesn't look nearly as black as the other he players looks, in the back. He looks white. They yeah. they have they already have contracts with mm-hmm. theaters in the South, and they they come out and say it. They say they won't play. They won't. Run yeah, those there. the South won't run anything a with a band. mixed band. And so Manny approaches Sydney, and this is it. Feels like such a it is such a betrayal. It is like he approaches Sydney and gives him some. Cold. He gives him it. it actually, it, it is, it is makeup, cool, right? but it says on there like. It is makeup it's for makeup blackface. To darken But it's skin. basically just coal. Yeah. yeah. And Sydney says, I can't wear this. Like, what are you talking about? Manny says... Just disbelief yeah. on his face. It's it incredible is performance. Incredible but, performance. And this it's is heart- effective, but we'll get to why it's... It's heartbreaking. Um, and, and honestly, it's actually a great point to see Manny grappling with what yeah. it means to be an executive and having to sacrifice your own beliefs Morals, and, and yeah. turning your back on identity yes yeah mm-hmm. because because manny's already kind of given up his his mexican background he yeah. says that he's from spain when mm-hmm. someone asks him manny is very much a sellout in mm-hmm. this moment um and so he asks sydney to put this makeup on sydney says no and he says look if you don't do this we won't be able to sell the film. We won't be able to do this. None of these guys will get paid. We don't have a choice. Friends. Yeah, you don't have a choice. Which is fucking bullshit. It's bullshit. Because you can fix the lighting there setup. Are ways you can do something. That. You can there are ways. You know, they just And this to... actually happened. Yeah, like, this is th- these this things is happened. very real. This yes. is a real thing. People still in Hollywood today have problems like they're not as good at lighting yeah. black people. Yes. As they are at lighting like people with other skin and tones, right? And it's been an issue with hair and makeup it and isn't... across yeah, the board. Like it's still It's incredible. a white dominant yeah, industry. Like it's a huge deal. But yeah, so So he presents him yeah, he does that. He he ends Sydney up doing, eventually yeah gives in. Mm-hmm. He puts it on his face and it is oh, the way it's shot. Okay, I'm sorry. You talk about it. When we come back to Sydney, we see him in blackface and we see him playing the trump uh, the trumpet. He looks miserable. Oh my god, I cannot It was so uncomfortable. I have seen some uncomfortable movies in the last year. I have not squirmed in my seat as much as I have while watching him. There is so much pain and humiliation in his face. Yes. And I just, like, I had to it's look palpable. away. It's palpable, yeah. It is, I'm sure that there was an aspect of that, an element of that, that was intentional, like, you're supposed to feel bad. Oh, obviously. 100%. But, like, it, the entire point of this guy's, in, like, the terms of his narrative arc, is just focused on the humiliation that mm-hmm. he's experiencing, which... Mm-hmm. I guess to a certain extent you can say that about some of the other characters, but it's not, not to this extent. Well, and and so yeah, so when so, we, yeah, no, you the can, camera, yeah. it's it's almost like a horror film the way it's shot, actually, yeah. because it is it has these kind of like wandering close-ups that just kind of feel very ominous and yeah. and it and, like gets really close into his face. Yeah. yeah. Um. And after that, and then we'll get into like the other issue that I have, but he ends up walking off. So he yes. finishes the scene. He he shoots it all, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then we see him leave the the lot, right? The studio. And the parking attendant is like, oh, you're going to need to hang on to this if you're going to come back. And he's like, oh, I'm not coming back. Yeah. And then... He, he leaves the car that he was given by the studio. He, leaves he walks everything. away, yeah. which I understand. Yeah, I um, think it, but it's great. How, well, and I have complicated feelings about this because I feel like it's supposed to be a moment of applause, like good for you for walking away, which I understand. I mean, how could you come back from that? Mm-hmm. 
But at the same time, I feel like it's kind of doing a disservice to all of the black folks who went through Mm. this time and what they accomplished by sticking it out and what they had to go through and what they had to sacrifice because they were treated like shit. I mean, if you want to like hear an amazing podcast, by the way, real quick, shout out to um, You Must Remember This, which is an amazing podcast, and they go over um, Song of the South. It's like a five-part series. I think I was telling you about it before. And they talk about how terrible, I mean, it was for black actors at this time and, and just... I mean, what they had to endure. Um, so, and I'm not, again, like, I. this is more just me kind of, like, um, trying to figure out how I feel about it. Because at one point, I do feel like it's great. And it does feel like, yes, get the hell out of there. Like, you, you do not deserve that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, well, I don't know. What is that saying yeah. about the folks who did decide to endure that? Yeah. And, like, we really don't have, like, a firm, like, this is what it means, right? And so we can look at it from a couple different yeah. ways. We can look at it as just mm-hmm. condemning what the industry did. We can look at it as a personal triumph for Sydney. But mm-hmm. we can also look at it as, like, sort of a an examination of, like, if you're not willing to sell out, you don't belong here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot going on here and none of it is explicit. None of it is a moral that you're supposed to take from the story. And there's so much that you can read into it. And it's just cool. And what's really disheartening for me is that after we see him walk away, we do see a little bit later that he goes back on the road. He we see him at a small right. He's like performing um, in a small in a small venue. kind of yeah cafe type, mm-hmm. um, presumably in the south, back with his like original band. I think but, he's still in California. Does he stay in California? I, I you know what they don't make it clear, they so it yeah, doesn't matter. Clear. But he he goes back on the road. I think is what it seems like, mm-hmm. and that's kind of all we get from him. That's yep. it. Like and like you the, said, the the it is a thin plot line, but yeah. but it feels a little bit like they were just trying to check off a box. Like, okay, we included this, we did our part, we showed this horrific aspect of of film history and history in general of our nation, and okay, we did it, done. Yeah. <laughs> and like, thing is, I could kind of it feels especially egregious because there's so much like specifically with black people with the film industry. Yes. Like if you wanted to do this, you needed to do it right. Or at least you needed to put more effort in than just this one thread and this like solid, I don't know. It breaks my heart. 20 seconds of, of black pain. Yeah. And like, I I am not the right person to talk about this. Obviously I'm a white person. Yeah. Um, but like it's, and I would love actually like listeners, like, like if we have any black listeners out there like not that it's your responsibility but we'd love to hear from you Um, or like if anyone's heard any good podcasts that discuss this and the interaction between like blackness and filmmaking would be super interested if there are any uh creators who are interested reach out yeah we'll talk our our dms are open on instagram and twitter um which we will plug at the end which this is not i don't want this never mind cut that cut that cut that um no yeah yeah, we we're open we want this to be a dialogue because yes film is a dialogue film is constantly evolving and the way that we're analyzing it is evolving and i think that like in this situation yeah there's a lot to talk about i'm not equipped to fully uh i mean yeah yeah totally have a, a thorough interpretation of this um so And I think kind of this will easily piggyback off of this. Mm. I think, and again, I don't know. I would be really interested 
have a conversation with Damien Chazelle about this because this is what I took away from this. So this film will often use um, an editing device where they cross cut between different characters. It's almost like a Kuleshov effect. Uh, yeah, 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 because yes, because they are pairing these, you know, different scenarios together with the same music, right? And it's driving to a similar thematic point right. is what it feels like. As we saw in the studio backlot thing mm-hmm. where like you had Nellie and Jack and Manny all coming to this like yeah. climax this at is, the same time. There's a prerequisite We have something similar happening here. And, uh, and so what happens here yeah. is we're cutting from... Sydney Palmer facing this absolutely humiliating, um, terrifying Horrific. instance. Yeah. Uh, and and then we cut to Jack. And he is having to face the hu- humiliation. So I guess the hum- humiliation factor is there, okay? Yeah. But he is getting dodged left and right by the studio heads that used to revere him, that used to come to him for... Everything, you know, mm-hmm. he's trying to call a specific studio head. I'm not sure which one, um, but he's getting the runaround. Mm-hmm. He's not getting the respect that he's used to. And this is kind of where we first really start to see his demise. But we're cross-cutting between these two scenes, which to me, I, I feel like the director is trying to say that these two scenarios have the same stakes mm-hmm. and that they are equally upsetting. Um, clearly that is not the case. Like, how dare you? Like, Sydney, I think cross-cutting is very effective and I think that it has worked really well in this film, but I think that it should. It would have been more effective if we just... Well, but like you said... I wouldn't have been able to watch it. But even... Oh, that's true. And and the fact that there's black pain with no black joy in this. Like, ugh. I, I think that maybe if we had had more from Faye, Lady Faye worked in here somehow but I don't know because she has even less right because then it would have at least been another person of color and like Mm -hmm. and but yeah like it it is very weird to see like look at this extremely successful millionaire white man having his calls dodged by his producers and bosses (laughs) while this black man is undergoing intense humiliation and racism yeah it's not okay it's (laughs) it is really weird and so like I can't I can imagine making an argument for, oh, just these are the their endings in Hollywood. These are mm-hmm. two people who are transitioning out of being uh, like film stars, and there are multiple reasons why you might leave. Sure, one of them is because people stop liking you, and one of them is because you are treated badly. But uh, that's a stretch. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not sure that that's what was. I'm not sure. There's an argument like there, but I still yeah, don't I, think that that's justifiable. Like, if that is the argument, I think that you tried. It needed another pass. But you should have tried harder. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was incredible to see, like, oh, no, Brad Pitt is sad. Yeah. Um, and, like, sure, he's depressed, but, like, also, this is so much, it's so different. It pales The stakes in are so different. Yeah. The experiences, the feelings, all of it are not compatible and I don't think they belong in the same scene. Yeah. So that's why we have feelings, we have feelings about, about Sydney, Sydney Palmer. Palmer. We, we want, love him. We want more of him. We want an entire movie about Sydney Palmer. Can we just have, I'm sorry. Can we just have like a film where Sydney Palmer and Lady Faye and maybe like two other people just like go like on a road trip. Just gallivant they, across yeah, the country together. Maybe they like move in to uh 
like Harlem. Oh, oof. move into Harlem. Is that a thing? Sure, move to yeah, Harlem. They, they move to Harlem. <laughs> they slide into Harlem's DMs. <laughs> yeah, they move to Harlem and they just like enjoy themselves. They're 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 like I would kill to see that movie. Oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> he would be like so he's so it's like the 1930s and he's probably in his late 20s. So by the 60s, he would be in his 50s. Yeah. He would be he would be cutting it up, dude. He oh. would be killing it during the civil rights movement. Absolutely. And we would be able to see Lady Faye throwing bricks at Stonewall. Ugh. That would be cool. That's what we need and that I mean, yes. Give me Stonewall. Give me the like not the shitty representation that you threw at us yeah. last minute. It does feel a little bit like an afterthought. That is how I felt about Sydney Palmer's timeline. Yeah, it feels like an afterthought. Yeah. So, yeah. ooh, <laughs> shame on you. Anyway, they're like, ooh. we need we need jazz in this, right? Because because there was a movie called The Jazz Singer. We need jazz. Come on. <laughs> jazz. Um, yeah. So yeah, it felt weird, uncomfortable, yeah. inappropriate. I feel like I I wonder what I would have done differently, like. Because I do like the arc of him leaving Hollywood and deciding that there's something better for him. I just wouldn't have done it with blackface. I don't. I don't I know because I don't know black experiences. I probably yeah. would have asked yes. a black filmmaker. Consult yeah, like the you, proper. Yeah, yeah, folks, because that's, that's the way just to do it. yeah. Because it's it's embarrassing. Frankly. And if you're going to include such intense black pain like that, it can't. Yeah. It can't, you can't include a storyline just to show that. Like, that's just not okay. <laughs> yeah. And so either way, whether the, whether this scene was in service of the storyline or the storyline was in service of the scene, neither of them are good. Mm -hmm. Do better. No matter how you spin it. Yeah. So on that note, let's talk about something we are a little bit more familiar with. A lot more familiar yes. with. <laughs> we have, yes. We are equipped to talk about um, queer representation. Queer representation. <laughs> With Lady Feiju. Which the Icon. first time we see her, oh are you God. kidding? At that party scene, when Ugh. she is singing about stroking her favorite pet, which is her girl's pussy. <laughs> Come on. It's so good. She is in like this beautifully tailored tux and like a top, top hat, hat or a bowler. I think it's a top hat. And Something she, like so she's performing on stage. And she and has she, the, what are these called? Um, she has like the perfect little like sideburn curls that yeah, are like, like the baby, plastered to yeah. her face. Oh, I don't know what that's called, but the it's amazing. Hairs, I don't know. It's beautiful. <laughs> she's gorgeous. Um, and she's like smoking this cigarette and blowing the smoke out into the spotlight that's trained on it's, her. I Yeah, the cinematography in this is great. But this scene in particular, when we first see her... Her reveal A is shiver goes so through iconic. the crowd. Every yes. single sapphic in the crowd is like, oh my God. And every <laughs> single straight woman in the crowd is like, okay, maybe. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. we see that on screen too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, she is an incredibly powerful queer woman and she knows how to use it. She wields her, I don't even know if it's, okay. She wields her sexuality quite well as a weapon, but it's not like. It's not in the way that Nellie does it. It's so precise. It's mm -hmm. knife-like. It's refined. Yeah. yeah. And she knows exactly what she's doing. And it, she targets it. I don't know. Yes. She holds so much power. And she knows how to command a room much better than Nellie does. Because we, we talked about earlier her being, like, Nellie being the conductor of the orchestra in the crazy party. But Feiju has similar levels of gravitas, mm -hmm. but she controls it so much better. Yes. That's top vibes, baby. Um, I love uh -huh. that. We love to see it. Yeah. 
So we start out strong with Lady Faye, and, mm-hmm. and we think, okay, here yeah. we go. We see Lady Faye, when she is performing her song at the party scene, she picks out a woman from the crowd, mm-hmm. um, grabs her little chin, and plants one on her. Yeah. And that woman, who was with a man, she liked it. Yeah, she... She really liked it. She, like, <laughs> She can't on. hide it. She's bashful. She's, oof. It's so good. Um, and then, so, you start to think, okay... All right, we're getting some queer representation. You yeah. get a little bit excited. You get ahead of yourself, mm-hmm. only to have your dreams dashed. <laughs> yeah. So there is a lot we could say about Lady Faye. Um, I want to focus on. So she is incredibly competent. She's very good friends with Jack. Uh, we see them talking a lot. He asks her for favors quite a bit. She's also a writer, so we see her in the film a lot. Yeah. She takes she, she like, wears so many hats, yeah. which was very common at that time. Yeah. But she always finds a role for herself. Yeah. She doesn't let herself become obsolete. Mm-hmm. Um, Nelly like catches her eye, and you see her going, "Oh, I wonder if she swings both ways." And then after, yeah, at a certain party scene, I believe it's hosted at Jack's house. Um, you see her, so she dances with Nellie, and it's clear that they're into each other. Yes. Um, and then there's, like, a cock block moment. Um, and then... And no dialogue has been exchanged Yeah, no dialogue. Two. That's so, important. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. So, basically, there is this weird thing where, like, everyone lines up, kind of, and someone says, Lady Faye is going to choose her partner yes. for the evening. Which, okay, first of all, what kind of, like... <laughs> fetish shit is that I'm sorry like <laughs> I it, it, feels that like, it feels like something that would happen in a BDSM dungeon right not that I've been Picks. to one but <laughs> like yet. It's, it's very like formal Picking and ritualized and yes kind of strange it's cool it is but like is this a thing? Yeah, I'm curious. Um, yeah. But then, so she picks Nellie as her partner. They dance. It is very charged. It is very sexual. It is, they're very close and like making super eye contact. Mm-hmm. They don't say a single word to each other. The though. sexual chemistry is there, but no dialogue. No is dialogue exchanged. at all. And then later, that same night... The snake scene again. Nellie fights a snake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she gets bitten on the neck, runs around for five minutes... She would be dead by then, by the way. That's a rattlesnake. And Lady Faye's just watching all of this happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Again, she's poised. She is... She is... She always has her shit together. Yeah, totally. While and everything else is falling around, uh, apart around yeah. her. <laughs> and so we see her... Anyway, after the chaos of the thing, she grabs the snake, cuts off his head, yanks it out of Nellie's uh, neck, and then, like, sucks the blood from Nellie's neck to get the poison out, which is ridiculous because Nellie has been running around for There's five no minutes. way. <laughs> It is fully permeated yeah. her body. She's dead. Yeah. But whatever. Fine. She's fine. She's fine. She movie wakes magic. up. She's okay. They kiss. She wakes up like like she was dead and she is returned back to life. Like, yeah. like it, it gave me um, like she just fiction vibes. Yeah. Like, she just rolled a nat 20 on a death saving throw. Like, okay, girl. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and then they kiss. And oh, then... And the kisses, I mean... It's a good kiss. Oh, it is. They're, like, on the ground, covered in blood. It's a good kiss. And from there, things start kind of... We see that these two have created a bond. Yeah. And and because of the fact that um, that Lady Faye, again, she does wear so many hats, and she's so competent mm-hmm. and well-versed, she becomes uh, Nellie's kind of mentor, in a sense, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and you see them, like, there are a few, like, uh, 
I think, newspaper articles mm-hmm. that we see. Well, yeah. So Oh, was this before? No, no, oh. that happens, like, yeah. right after. It kind of happens quickly. So mm-hmm. this is right when we're starting to transition into sound, right? Right. Um, into the sound era. And we, we see that Nellie is trying to refine her speech, right? She's from New Jersey. That's not going to fly anymore. And so they're trying to... The, my terrible New Jersey accent. I loved it Sorry, so much. I did serve a mission there, but only six months. So the accent didn't take. Um, so, so Lady Faye becomes a mentor to her she's helping her with her speech she and but we again even then we we still don't see dialogue exchanged between them until she's helping her run lines Mm -hmm. and right and and yeah and the lines that they're discussing I mean that's the only time we see them talk yeah and then we see the newspaper articles that reveal that there's this there's a thing that's scandal and it's like a lesbian affair and like and so what happens Manny, who wants to remake Nellie's image, comes to Lady Faye. Mm-hmm. Nellie, I think, is like reclining on a daybed in the background. Like she is, I don't even know if she's conscious. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Manny is talking to Lady Faye and says, hey, I'm so sorry. You guys need to break up or we won't be able to employ you anymore at MGM. Yeah. Because this has to stop. Yeah, this has to stop because we need Nellie's reputation to be intact. Mm-hmm. And so basically... There is an entire queer relationship here explicitly between two women who are very high in the film industry. They do not say, like, I think that they say one word to each other. And it's not even... No, no, no. Okay, oh, so... aside so, from the reading lines. No, so the reading lines... So Nellie says, Pierre... It's like the singing yeah, in the rain yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. just going to say a random line. But basically, it, the line is like, Oh, Pierre, how could you do, do, do? Yeah. And then... The um, and then Lady Faye, she says, she corrects Try it more her like pronunciation. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Correcting her pronunciation is the that's only thing that the two queer characters explicitly in a relationship are shown saying to each other the entire movie when they have several several minutes of screen time together in a very sexually charged atmosphere, in very like aesthetically like male gazy moments, mm-hmm. like yeah. fuck this. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Uh-huh. I hate it it's... so much. And like I we were watching it together and they had been dating for quite a bit by the time they yeah. were running lines together. I look over at Summer and I say, that is the first time that they've spoken words while they're on the same screen. Like same shot. Okay. I'm not fine. We're on fire. This is bad. Damien, I didn't like I know that I was speaking about the Sydney Palmer stuff as an outsider. But I am speaking as a queer, non-binary person who spent their entire life in the closet. Fuck you, Damien Chazelle. Give me queer representation. I hate you. Shame on you. How have you met? Have you met a lesbian ever? No, obviously ever. not. <laughs> they talk. How? How dare? Yeah. How dare you also take such amazing performances? Like, I mean, hello. These two actors are just. They're giving it their all, and you can't even give these characters scraps. Give me a reason that these characters care about each other. Because this is... Aside from just lust. Yeah, because this 100% goes back into the whole Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing that we had. Because Nellie, in this case, she is attracting Lady Faith based solely on aesthetic and charisma-based, like, like visual cues. And also... The fact that she is in a queer relationship. That's more Manny Pix- Manic Pixie Dream Girl shit. Stop it. All from the male gaze. I yep. hate it so much. 
It's infuriating once again. Um, it, we've been queer baited, folks. We it have. happened. It's like it's, it hurts. It's not even queer baiting. I don't know. I don't know what it is because it's like it is explicitly queer. It's just I don't know. It's like it's a bait and switch. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. I guess that is bait. But like, it's but you're right. It's not your your stereotypical form yeah, of it's queer not bait the, because there is queerness there. It's but it's elevated baitings. It's elevated yeah, queer, queer bait. Baiting. There we go. <laughs> Damien Chazelle. Fuck you for forcing us to coin that term, Damien Chazelle. <laughs> he, said, he said normal queer baiting is not good enough. I'm going to elevate the genre. Let's take this up a notch. Okay, nerd. Ugh. Anyway, take we just... queer baiting to new realms. Yeah. It's 2023. Stop it. Yeah, look around, man. Yeah. So, I don't yeah. know how much of that uh, audio is going to come out. I definitely <laughs> peaked it at some point. But um, point is... We're angry. I'm mad. We're yeah. both mad. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. I mean, it's baffling. Yeah. I just don't know how I would have you do that. given, like, in the, in the limited series of this show, I would have given entire episodes. They would have been dating for years. Oh, sure. Oh, God. Yeah. Imagine what we could have gotten. <sighs> anyway. So, I think so that's, that's pretty really much, all I have to yeah. say about Lady <laughs> Faye. Yeah. Uh, very concise. There are no, I have no, like, alternate interpretations there Mm-mm. fuck this storyline no. so sad day for lady Faye yeah and for us extremely well acted by um oh. i think it was lin jun lee yeah lin jun lee yeah, yeah. Am- amazing performance yeah. she's fantastic absolutely incredible can't wait to see her in more stuff she's an enchanting yeah, yeah. So, so yeah that's lady Faye. Um, and on that note, we now that we've just peaked in queer anger, yeah. we, we need to take a little break. We need to cool off. We'll off some steam. And then we'll come back and wrap things up. Yeah, that sounds good. Kay. Okay. <laughs> yes. Listen close. You'll hear it in the rustle of the leaves and the whisper of the wind. In the falling snow and drifting clouds. The song of the road. The story of the people of this world. A soaring eagle, a scampering mouse, and the myths that surround them. They traveled through snow-dappled fields and across rolling oceans. To raucous festivals and somber forests. Not every journey needs a destination. Sometimes, it's enough to wander and roam. Wander and Roam, an improvised pastoral story, releases Wednesdays at 8 a.m. From here, we actually want to go to the ending of the movie. We're so back. we did skip a lot of stuff with the plot. There are several There's things too that much. happened. It's there, impossible. It's, we tried. We told you. We tried last week. Yeah, at one And point, I almost fainted. I'm pretty sure I was close to fainting, Danny. Oh I don't think God. I told you that. Well, you, I did like, you drive home? Did you? That. No, I was home. No, but I drove you to Gary's car. Suffice to say, 
you know, at one point, Tobey Maguire is there. Someone eats a rat hole. Oh, we're back. Okay, we're going back. I, oh, I wasn't ready. Oh. I thought we were still talking about our lives, and I was like, what? This happened? Where was I? Okay, back to the movie, Yeah, didn't folks. you hear about my other week? It's like, oh, no. Tobey Maguire and the alligator. Oh. Um, yeah, we won't get into all that, because it's simply too much. Yeah, so we're just going to talk about the kind of emotional and character-wise culmination that we see in the last 15 or so minutes. So essentially, shit happened. Manny left for a long time. Nellie's gone. Everyone's gone. Um, Manny, he comes back 20 years later. Mm -hmm. We're in the 50s. We see him with his wife and his little daughter. Yeah, he moved to New York and owns a radio shop there. Mm, Something like that. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, we see him visiting California, showing his family around, and then... He is alone for a while. I think his wife is taking his daughter to yeah. something. And he decides to go into a theater. See what's playing. And in what's this playing, new Hollywood. Yeah. What's playing is Singing in the Rain. Mm-hmm. Which the entire film, you could argue, has been an iteration of Singing in the Rain. Uh, Manny is suddenly... Before him uh, is unraveling a representation of what he experienced, Singing in the Rain. He's watching Singing in the Rain. It's all about the transition from silent film to talkies. And he sees Lena Lamont, uh, and she's, you know, doing her, and I can't stand him. And it's 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 Nellie Leroy. And he's, I can't stand him. I can't. And that's I Eleanor St. James. Like, yeah. it's like so. Oh, yeah, because we didn't see Eleanor St. James, like, helping yeah, out, she uh, was, Nellie quite a bit. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about that. She was also trying to help refine her into the citizen that they wanted to portray her as. All the gays were giving Nellie so much effort. I'm not necessarily saying Eleanor St. James but, story, but I, I definitely her. yeah, yeah. Got but queer yeah vibes. all the gays were pulling for Nellie and she still disappointed us yeah it happens so yeah so this is happening um and then this is this is the part where we really truly see Damien Chazelle in his full masturbatory glory he might as well have been on screen he like um you know in Blade Runner 2049 when like Ryan Gosling is um, like having sex with the ro- the projection the chick. The hologram. Yeah, yeah, and they're like synced to the girl. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He should have just done that. Like, Might as well have been he, him. Like, yeah. Imagine Damien Chazelle superimposed <laughs> onto Manny, and the screen is fucking him, like Ryan Gosling did that one time. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Imagine all that. <laughs> Don't imagine that. That would be weird. <laughs> okay. So Manny, Manny, oh Manny. Okay, he's watching. He's watching the movie, and then while we are seeing him in awe of kind of this distant memory of what his existence was, and realizing that he was part of something more important, something bigger than himself, Which like was the his thing dream was fulfilled. Yeah, so that's why we love him as um, a bookend, and and that arc really works well for the storyline. Emotionally, the there are so many different like part of something bigger. The you're you're right where you're supposed to be. Yeah, all of those things like they're all planted so well, and then they're all brought together. The stars all align. It's all like, happening. And they're all brought together at different points, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting. Yeah, but like this is the final one. This is the most important one. Yeah, and so Damien Chazelle does something similar-ish that he did in La La Land uh, with the ending. Where what happens is there's basically a montage of cinema's greatest moments, right? The evolution of cinema. And we see classic films. We see um, A Trip to the Moon. We see all of these silent air films. And then it progresses until we see Avatar on screen. And it's basically like a, a good montage. Wait, hang on. 
What? It was the way of water, right? There wouldn't have been footage that he could have pulled from. There's no way. He had to like call that, up James Cameron and no. was like, do you want to be immortalized, dude? And James That's Cameron the was only like, one, yeah, James, dude. The only way James Cameron would have agreed to that. Yeah. Because we have to raise the bar. <laughs> it's like, I'm so close. I just need the footage from Avatar. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, I love it. Okay. Uh, what you didn't see, listeners, was that Danny was again no, jerking off at that point. <laughs> no, they need to know. <laughs> they, they deserve to know. They need to know how many times mm. I've done the jerk off motion yeah. <laughs> during this It's podcast. been a lot. At least five. I haven't mentioned it at all. So Thank God. It's time. <laughs> Ignore this. This is um, not an aspect of my personality, you guys. I just, it's Damien Chazelle that does this to me. Uh, okay, so, so here's the thing. So we see this montage and we see exactly what Damien Chazelle is saying. It's it's ex- it's not nuanced at all. There's no subtlety. It's extremely like we are here for cinema. We're all here because we love film, right? We it's beautiful. It's amazing. It, ca- it captures all of these emotions that we can all relate to. It transports us to places. It allows us. It's escapism, right? And and it's evolved and. And guess what? I'm part of that evolution. I'm Damien Chazelle. And I also have put my stamp in the old books. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's very self-aware in that sense. Um, but it is beautiful because it is an homage to cinema and the yeah. history of film. And and it's it is sappy, pretty astounding. It's um, the thing is, though, like, I think we talked about this briefly, but where do you stand, Danny, on whether or not you think that's a lazy choice? <laughs> How he chose to, because he's trying to convey this, this, this very specific thing, and he, it's effective, but it's, he's fucking pulling from other work, and like, yeah. couldn't he have, like, in La La Land, he used his own art to kind of do that same thing. I don't know. Yeah, but that's I, but true. it was effective. I, I think it. Mm, I don't think it was lazy. I think it was kind of the point of the movie. Like, this is the thing that he had in his head the whole time he was driving towards it, right? This is why he felt emotionally drawn to make the movie. But, like, I don't think it's lazy necessarily because he made a movie about it. But I do think it doesn't True. work. He made, like, <laughs> almost full three hours and excluding the montage. It doesn't work. I don't think he maybe thought doesn't about it enough because you. it interrupts the movie itself it takes you out of it but it's in that sense it's self-reflexive and i think it's intentional but i think that was the wrong mistake so yeah i i I don't think it's lazy i do think it was wrong yeah because it breaks the immersion of this magical realist world that That he sort of like created and it it exposes him it's very jarring it's like okay here's the thing it's like watching a play and seeing the director come out on stage during the last scene to take a bow before the audience has applauded at all. Like that's how it felt to me. It felt like he was coming in because like it, it exposed him too much. Mm -hmm. And it, I just think it was the wrong choice. Yeah. Um, Stop fucking the screen, Damien. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's one of the reasons that this movie is so much to talk about because if not for this, this would be like, an intense movie saying all these things about the industry, but it wouldn't necessarily be saying those things specifically about Damien Chazelle. Mm -hmm. And I think that the fact that he broke the immersion, broke the stylization, all of that, it shows him as a creator more than he should have. And that makes it, it gives this movie another layer to talk about, but yeah. not necessarily another layer to good. enjoy. Yeah. Not, not, we're it not just saying gives it more, it makes yeah. it more complicated in the way that like, a car crash probably made your car more complicated. Mm-hmm. No, that's an interesting point. And, I, and I've and i heard different things. A lot of people, it really worked for them, and they felt like it, yeah, it was kind of like a little bit too much of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
interjecting this like fluid moment because the thing is you've been in this for three hours I've said that a million times but you've been part of this world immersed like you said fully for three hours and then once he like rips you out of it it's like wait wait but it are we done is it, it over no not it yet like changes the genre or changes the message like I think about other movies that take place in like early Hollywood like I'm thinking maybe like Hail Caesar mm-hmm, or sure. I don't know there are that are paying yeah homage yeah. to that era yeah none of them do this Right, and I think I think that again, I think Damien Chazelle was very aware of what he was doing. Oh, okay, and I do. I think that he's too smart to make this mistake without being aware. Mm. Or maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I don't know. Maybe he just has bad taste. There we go. There we go. If um, this is the this is the movie he wanted to make. That is extremely clear. Mm-hmm. We just wish he would have made a slightly different movie. Yeah, and I mean. He was, what was the budget? Like $110 million? I think it was, I think it was, I wrote it in my notes, but I'm pretty sure it was like $110 or $114 million. Um, And I mean, he definitely put that money to use. Like, it is an epic. The ending is is a choice. Um, I honestly don't know whether I like it or not. I can't Mm. decide. Because when I'm in the theater and it's happening, you know what? Okay. I feel like he's spoon feeding us a little bit. Yes, <laughs> it, it does feel like he's, he's like. Spoon- I made the rest of the movie for film people, yeah. and then this part is for the people who are too this dumb is what to I'm understand. Saying. You're yeah. welcome. You're yeah. welcome. And it's I'm the like, TLDR. Yeah, oh. <laughs> a little. Yes, you didn't see Danny's amazing little foot kicks. They don't love movies as much as I do. So they don't I'm like, understand. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to do this. Yeah, but yeah, I I think that overall this movie was extremely effective in a lot of ways and in other ways it missed the mark did i like this movie it's not that simple (laughs) it's just there's so many layers to that and we love that you know we love a film that allows us to have such intense discourse and make us scream as much as we have um so we do appreciate that damien but if you ever, ever include that type of queer representation again... This should be illegal. We're gonna find you. I, I don't think we would find him to do anything bad to him. We would just find him to have a yeah. conversation with Yell him. Yell at him a little which, bit. Which, you know, might be torturous, <laughs> but he could just listen to the podcast instead. Uh, okay, yeah. I think there should be a punishment, um, and that punishment should be... <gasps> us what if that, at you. what if that's part of what if what if part okay we're still like figuring out right oh, the flow of this do, podcast we could have the, a punishment for each director okay, if we what feel about, like, like they yeah, wrong okay. us because like what if we did like a reward and, and a, punishment? a punishment oh my god i love that yes so okay a bad, maybe like a bad slutty tattoo but somewhere that's like very visible a neck tattoo Ooh. Um, Ooh. what if it doesn't say anything what if it's like a really shitty film camera. And also, it could be like a film strip. So it could be like a really bad film strip. Yes. Something really tacky and like... Oh what my if God. it's like... Wait, wait no, what if, it, okay. what if it just says written and directed by Damien Chazelle? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, the reward... Uh, yeah, the, the reward, reward for what he's done. Because he, he accomplished a lot. He I did. Mean, and there were a lot of high Oscar. moments. I mean, he, not well, him specifically. Yeah, but like, that's true. He, this but, movie was nominated for Oscars. But yeah, awards, rewards. Yeah, what do you think? Immortalization. Yeah, he already has it. He's immortalized. He did it. Because obviously, whatever you were going for with this movie, you 100% did that thing, dude. Were we happy about it? 
that's debatable. Yeah, we've been debating it for several hours <laughs> Obviously. Now. But, um, oh yeah! Oh my God! Ah! I feel, re- but yeah, we got through it though. We, we we were we felt like you know tackling such a an epic um, film as our first episode, which may not be released as the first episode. By Maybe the way, not. we'll see. But this is the first one that we've recorded, and yeah, it was very bold of us. But I'm yeah, I'm, I'm so glad we we took it on and everything it else was really be, fun. Everything else will be easy after this. Exactly. My friend made that point. I was telling them like, oh yeah. My friend Danny and I are recording this podcast and we decided to do Babylon as our first one. And they're like, well, at least like from here on out, it's all going to be downhill as in easy (laughs) coasting. So we hope that you guys join us on our downhill glide. (laughs) It's all Um, downhill for me, baby. Thank you so much Uh, for listening to the podcast and you made it all the way through. Did you have anything else to say? No, just that I, I, yeah, I hope that. You know, we I know we didn't cover everything. It's impossible. Um, there's so much more we could discuss, but we will spare you and ourselves. Um, but yeah, we we look forward to what's to come. And also, if you have any requests, if there's like a film that you're dying to hear us talk about. Or like or if there's a take to, that you think. Yeah, yeah, like throw it at us. Um, again, our DMs are always open. You can also reach out via email. If you would like to contact us, you can reach out via email at bisexuallylitpod at gmail.com. Tweet us or look us up on Instagram at bisexually underscore lit. We really thank you guys so much yeah, for we, joining us on this epic journey. We don't know you yet, but we love you already. So excited. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Have a great day. Music by Gary Argyle. Bisexually Lit is a production of Winterhawk Podcasts. For more information, go to winterhawkpodcasting.com.